Joe presents TKO together with 32 Red. Hello and welcome to TKO on Joe together with 32 Red. As you know, we're a podcast and YouTube show with you every Thursday. This week, we're coming to you stateside live from a fight night with Top Rank and ESPN. Uh, I'm very pleased to say the lady who is my guest this evening uh, has spent 10 years in broadcast covering NFL basketball and is now one of the most reputable faces in the sport of boxing. It is none other than Top Rank's Christina Poncher. Such a pleasure to to meet you and uh, thank you for your time because I know you're on air in about sort of an hour or so. Um, <laughs> I, I made a specific time for you guys. I, I love what you guys do and... I'm happy to be here with you, Chris. So we're, well, we're talk so, some boxing. Yes, yeah, talk some boxing. Obviously, the first thing we should address, because this will go out in a couple of weeks' time, but this is the fight night that Carl was supposed to headline. This is our podcast. Normally, he and I will interview a guest. Bizarre week, and boxing is never, ever straightforward, is it? It's so crazy. I mean, you can't sway. It's like the most unpredictable sport. You couldn't write it up how, how it happened. You couldn't you know, imagine something as freak as that and we were kind of looking through some other freak injuries that have caused and this is right up there with the, with the best of oh. them and and this one has photo and video evidence to kind of show what happened where other ones yeah. you just go off of hearsay but it's so unfortunate we were just gutted for him look it was his first fight with top rank his espn debut i personally was looking forward to meeting him interviewing him and working with him but he's got to get that hand better and then you know we'll see him back and you know, it's maybe it's a, a world title shot for him in, in his next fight, and he doesn't have to get that comeback fight because uh, he already had a full training camp. So, so yeah, he'll do it again. Exactly. It's hard for him to, I guess, see the positives from this situation at the moment. But I guess the one thing is that he won't have lost the progression he's got from a 12-week camp. Right. He just hasn't had the fight. Right. So fingers crossed. Actually, when when the hand heals up and he goes back into camp, he will still be in a kind of reasonably good place. Right. So we just keep our fingers crossed for him and hopefully it is a I big... I know, and for the Irish fans here and the people that had, had bought tickets and flights, it's just, it's really an unfortunate situation all the, ra- all the way around. Mm. And um, the kind of guy he is, the character guy he is, you just hoping for good fortune for him. He's just one of those guys that you, it's hard to, you, to root against. So yeah. I just, I wish him a speedy recovery and I hope that we get him back here and, and he gets to highlight another card, headline another card, hopefully for a world championship. Yeah, I'm sure he will. Uh, in the meantime, Sosa's been bumped to, to the main event. Right. He's an all-action fighter. So that should bring a few fans out tonight, regardless of the fact that Carl's off the bill, right? Absolutely correct. I mean, and he's from Camden, New Jersey, which is a stone's throw away from here. Mm. So it's it's not his home, but it could be considered like his backyard. So he has some tickets on the undercard. We got a guy, a Sonny Conto, who is from Philly, you know, right down the street. He's sold a ton of tickets, Donald Smith. So there's still a Philly heavy influence on this card. And Jason Souza is a former world champion and, you know, is on a sh- uh, an opportunity to hopefully make a statement in this fight and maybe yeah. get another shot at a world title at, in the 130-pound division. So still a good quality fight, but it's no walk in the park for him at all. Um, I mean, it's, to me, you know, a 55-45 fight. Mm. Oh, that's a good way of looking at it. Um, big year again for top rank. And, of course, you're at the yeah. forefront of all of that coverage. I was looking. So of the 32 weeks into the year that we are now, there have been 21 fight nights in the U.S. alone. That's it? Is that, <laughs> yeah. You <laughs> say that's it. I mean, that's like 80% of the, yeah. 80% of the week. Yeah, it's, and, it's a lot. And as you say, you know, you're a mum now and it's a lot of travelling. How do you find keeping a kind of reasonable work-life balance being on the road so much? I'm still trying to figure that yeah. part out. I mean, this is, we went from having the majority of our fights on HBO and, and if we had two a month, we were ecstatic, you know, towards the last couple of years. And it was, the summer was always so slow and, you know, things like that. You'd always have May would be stacked. September would be those months where you, you said December, big fights. But now it's like, you know, a big fight every month and two or three fights, you know, I have one weekend at home and it, it is challenging, but, um, I have a great support system. It takes a village, as they say, and that's you know never been truer than for me being a working mom. And um, you know, top ranking ESPN. Some of those cards um, that have been on ESPN or ESPN Plus like are done like remotely. Like the Conlon fight, we didn't send a whole crew over there. They called oh, from okay. studio and yeah. back. So sometimes those little 
things help. But it's a lot, but look, it's so great for the sport and it's so great for the fighters to get opportunity to like actually have cards to fight mm. on and stay busy mm. instead of waiting for dates and then just plucking whoever's the best and everyone else doesn't get those reps and those so experience. True. So yeah. it, it's a lot. And with DAZN and everybody, I mean, it's just every weekend you, you have your choice of what you'd like to watch and mm. it's fantastic. Yeah, there's so much boxing on and obviously for us, the hardcore fans will get up at four in the morning, but we've got stuff going on in the UK as yeah. well. It's, it's been a busy, it's been a busy couple of years really. Yes. Congratulations as well, because earlier this year you became the first ever um, female broadcaster in boxing in an English language to lead a broadcast on the play-by-play -play side of things. I can imagine that was an incredibly nerve-wracking few days in the build-up. Oh my God, and it's in my hometown yeah. and my backyard where like I'm, I am literally across the street from my high school and the street that I grew up on where I formulated my dreams of becoming a sports broadcaster. It was this incredible full circle moment. Um, I had just one of those before in my life where my first you know, live television broadcast was a college basketball game that I did at my alma mater where I went to college. So I mean, these things, you couldn't write it yeah. any better. And I just feel like that's how, these are like little affirmations from God that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. and. I never thought that these big leaps in my career and these things that I've been able to accomplish would have came after having a child. Wow. I waited for longer than I, I maybe, you know, probably more than my husband would have liked to because I saw career, 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 and it's gonna slow me down. Or I'm not gonna wanna leave him or people are gonna look at me different because I'm a mother now. I'm not this young reporter, right? It's just, was I wrong? Yeah, and I guess, you know, in the court of public opinion on social media, you get to, see and hear exactly what people think of, of and I guess it's the same for a fighter, it's the same for a broadcaster. Yeah, yeah. And although we shouldn't necessarily check, we do because we're only human. <laughs> you know how it is. Yeah. You like the thing that tells not to do, but you can't yeah, help you it. Can't you're help like because the producers aren't gonna come and give no, you the whole no, no, scoop. No, no. You gotta just so you like to gauge know. the public. Yeah. But look, nine years, nine and a half years of preparation to get to that point, like I knew I wasn't gonna fail. It was just a matter of how I would handle big moments, spectacular knockout or if there was an incident where something was unclear, you know, things that if you've never done it before, you can't really prepare. You practice on, you know, mm. looking at fights in your living room or whatnot. So I felt confident in my preparation. And yeah, the support and the feedback was really positive. But like the one thing was on, um, and every time I say his name, like my heart drops, but it was um, the Maxime Dadashev had a, a, a knockdown and then he came back and got a knockout oh. on that fight. And I, um, I said something, this was on the Costa Mesa show. This was not on the, the show um, in Maryland, but, I had said like a, with a, a one-two or something and it was really like a two, it was like something, a variation of right. a hook or a straight right. Yeah, and yeah. I, boxing play-by-play -play is gotta be the hardest play-by-play -play to do because you don't see things coming in terms of a punch being thrown or if you're not sitting at the right angle, you have to wait for the mm. replay. So that was a learning experience to me as well. So I don't see it clearly if it was, if he hooked his right hand a little bit instead of threw it up. I need to just say, you know, down goes so and so, or yeah, give you know, yourself that breather. To, yes, to, like, before you see it. You know, all yeah. all those things, learning experiences. Um, instead of trying to guess or think, yeah, obviously it was the right hand, but what variation of a punch was it? Be more general and then get specific on the replay. Things like that. It's not like a guy's running down the field. And you can see 50, 40, 30. You see he's running you towards the end see, zone, or yeah. you can see if he's going to get tackled. Or basketball, the guy's on a breakaway. You can see those things. Boxing, you just don't. You just mm. can't. It's so fast. Well, let's talk about some of the boxing for top rank this year. Jennings Rivas was the first. US fight night of the year. wouldn't say a, a huge upset for Rivas. He's a good fighter in sure. his own right, but it was a very competitive fight and one that ended well and, and obviously set up the Rivas Dylan White fight in, in the UK. Um, well, it ended well for Rivas, not, uh, not for Jennings. Exactly. Yeah. Jennings, Jennings probably Jennings. thought going into that 12th round, hey, yeah. I, you know, I got to get just get out of this round yeah. and I'm probably going to win the fight. So yeah, right. kudos to Rivas for what he did. And for Jennings, it has to be a wake up call. You've got to, there's got to be that extra gear. And it just seemed like watching round after round, he just, 
if he could have just picked it up a little bit more. But Rivas did the right thing, saying, I got to go for broke here in that 12th round. And, you know, he moves on and gets a good opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, uh, the big upset at uh, light heavyweight, Elida Alvarez, beating Sergei Kovalev, who, of course, has had his ups and downs outside of the ring. We all know that. But he was still a big favorite going into oh, that Oh, he was absolutely the favorite. And, man, what a job Buddy McGirt did with Kovalev. Crazy. I mean, you want to talk about going back to the basics and going getting behind your jab, yeah. throwing your combinations, moving around the outside. I mean, that Kovalev looked completely different. And it went back to the Kovalev that you saw as an amateur and what he did at that point. And I don't think Elidia was ready for that. 100%. Let's have a little look who else we had. So oh, that night was... Uh, yeah, because oh, that's, that's when, when Tia, Fimo, Tia Fimo, um, Comey got hurt yeah. after that spectacular knockout that very same night. Tia Fimo Lopez also was on that same card too where he fought uh, Magdaleno. That's Diego it, Magdaleno. that's it. And now, of course, those guys are lined up to fight. Yeah, eventually. I'm excited about that. Well, it should. I think the IBF just ordered the fight, but... Depending on what's going on with Tiafimo Lopez, I mean, he's got a lot going on with his with his family and mm. in his personal life, and um, it's causing some troubles there. So, uh, also, I don't know how much longer he's going to make 135 pounds, but uh, he yeah. wants the payoff. He's done. He's been at 135 his his whole career, his, his amateur, you know, everything. So he's like, I want to get that title at 135 and then move up. But then it's like, well, what about the unification with Lomachenko after that? Well, so tempting, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's like, can he make it for two more fights? Mm. So. And the longer it goes on, presumably the longer it suits Lomachenko to know that a guy's kind of yes. struggling and is, is naturally big at the weight. 100 percent, because mm. Lomachenko is a natural 130 pounder, mm. not 135. So he has no problem, no, no. you know. But he he would like to collect all the belts if he could, but. He, you know, no, no easy task for, for Lomachenko as well. well I guess for, for Lomachenko's legacy, like all the great fighters, if he really, really wanted that fight and felt like he wanted to prove it, and Lopez did go up a weight, he could he could easily go up if he wanted to make a point and say, look, we'll do it five pounds heavier, do six pounds heavier. He could, but I don't know. It's I like, don't know if he will. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And who's to say it's, it's Lopez? Because Comey is, is no joke. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, it's, it's a great fight. It's great. Um, Let's talk about uh, Ramirez, who was so brilliant against uh, Maurice Hooker a couple of weeks what ago. He's under the top-ranked banner, uh, banner as well. Good fighter. And, of course, we're talking Vozdik, uh, who I think you commentated on earlier this year too. Yep. Defended his WBC light heavyweight title after that kind of great performance, but obviously tragic outcome against uh, Donna Stevenson, who gladly is doing a little bit better right. now. And, of course, the huge news, because those light heavyweight champions have been sort of in their seats for a long time, and, and those top four Really, we've wanted them to face each other for some time, and now finally we've got yeah. a unification, yes. which is great news. And Baturbiev and Vozik, that's some fight. I was like watching Baturbiev's last fight. We had it on one of the cards in Stockton, California, and he was going against Hot Rod. And we're like, okay, if he can get past this, like it was something that had been discussed. It was on the horizon, and the fact that it, it got made, with both of them being top-ranked fighters, cleared the path for that, which is why we all kind of knew that that was on the horizon. And they got the deal done. It's going to happen right here, Philly. Uh, October 18th, it's just fantastic for boxing because in the era where there's all these belts and all these super champion, diamond champion, I don't know. Franchise Wednesday champion. night champion, <laughs> like whatever the case, franchise, diamond, yeah, whatever yeah. the case may be. These are the fights that get fight fans really excited and fighters too because you want to see, well, am I the best fighter at, you know, 168, 175? Yeah, I am, but there's also three other guys that have mm. belts, so we need to kind of settle this and that's a good, good fight for that. I mean, obviously the, the franchise champion thing that's just been brought in and kind of bestowed upon Canelo is essentially a way of, of the WBC saying you no longer have your mandatory commitments as a, as a champion. Great for Canelo because he can pick the big money fights, but for the fighters that are kind of working their way up the rankings, forming good relationships with the WBC to get in that position where they are mandatory, that title of mandatory challenger, if you've gone the WBC route, is essentially now 
obsolete if you want to face Canelo Alvarez. It changes the rules, basically. Yeah. That's what you're doing. And that's what people, that's why they fight and they take these tough tasks and move up to rankings and get those opportunities to where they either are guaranteed fight or they get a nice little chunk of money to do a quote unquote step aside mm. if there's another bigger fight to be made, but then you automatically become next. You know, that that's the whole point of, of working your way up the rankings to get this opportunity. And I understand, you know, at, at this point, you know, something freak could happen and a guy could get hurt in one of these mandatory fights and it would cost him for the next. Look, we're dealing with that with Tyson Fury right now. He's going to fight a guy in, in Otto Whalen. It's like, well, we know the Wilder fight is on the horizon. Mm. But he, he's he's the kind of guy where he needs to stay active and stay fighting for his mental and physical, all that. Mm -hmm. And not that that's a mandatory type situation, but I'm just saying it's one of those things where it's like, you don't want to get hurt or have something happen and ruin that Omega fight. And I think that's what maybe the thinking is with Canelo. You mm. know, I, if we're going to get this Triple G fight or whatever the case is going to be, is it going to be Kovalev or whatever, like, you want to minimize the your risk yeah, on the way that's to it. that fight. That's it. Mm, absolutely. Um, let's talk about uh, women in boxing. The females have, have blazed the trail. Katie Taylor, Clarissa Shields. Yeah. There are a number of girls on top rank too. But this has really been a movement that kind of started, it seems, you know, 20, 30 years ago. But 2012, the Olympic Games in London produced three or four top quality Olympians that turned professional. Clarissa Shields, of course, the first American female to win two back-to-back -back gold, gold medals. medals. First American boxer, yeah. full stop. It, I guess for you, you're leading the way for females in broadcasting boxing, which is an, again a new thing. And the Wallhouse is doing the same back in the UK. Is it exciting to be part of a, of a new movement of women leading the way in a sport that has for so long kind of pushed them onto the sidelines? Yeah, it's it's very exciting and I'm very honored to be considered, you know, one of those in the forefront. And I look back and, you know, in watching boxing in my day and really the only woman that, that I looked at as far as a broadcast perspective was Claudia Trejos and she did a lot of stuff in Spanish and stuff in English too and she's kind of the only person that I had but she was also doing other sports and mm. things like that there was I wouldn't really say that she was the female face of boxing at that time because there wasn't mm. there really wasn't one and even female boxing it's like oh yeah Mia St. John but then she's on Playboy and you're like oh that's not what I want then you get a no. Christy Martin and you know in her story and that's a whole nother thing the, the coal miner's daughter but there there were flashes of People, but now it's like there is a whole wave of these women, yeah. yes, and that they're good fighters, and they're like, let's fight three-minute rounds, let's fight for, you know what I mean? Things where like those women want more equality. You got Michaela Mayer, you know, pushing that, pushing that bar as another Olympian and things like that too. So it feels great on the broadcast side to kind of help move the needle in that sense, and I feel a great responsibility in that role because I know that there are now because of the amount of female fighters are there are now young girls that are boxing that are looking up to them and that means they're watching the broadcast as well Touch. and maybe if they don't become a fighter they say i can do blow by blow mm. i can be a commentator i can interview these fighters and i take great pride in that and, and preparing myself well and i feel like if this opportunity maybe it come five years ago i wouldn't understand the weight and the and the responsibility the way that I do now having the 10 years of experience behind you know behind me because the original dream for you was to be courtside reporter yeah. for the, was it the Lakers yes yeah you yeah. really did your homework Chris always you know? do my homework. <laughs> do my homework. yeah 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 <laughs> that, that was always a dream growing up in Southern California basketball is my my first love I, I played it my whole life and you know I never would have thought becoming a, a boxing commentator. That was not even yeah. in the realm of possibility because there wasn't. Well, there, there was wasn't no one. blueprint for you, which <laughs> no. is, again, and I guess you're asking the bosses to take a, a kind of a risk in that sense because they're the ones that are creating the, the first blueprint for this. Funny enough, I think I felt a little less pressure in that sense because they asked me 
to do it. You so know, I started, I started, you know, doing the reporting and stuff, which is where I felt comfortable. But once they kind of put me on the commentary team and said, hey, you know, she can add a little bit more insight than just the 30 seconds or the minute, you know, mm. reports. Um, let's keep her mic open. And then it says, why don't we bring her to the table? And then it was years of doing that alongside the Colonel Bob Sheridan and, you know, Bruce Beck and oh, these wow. guys yeah. honing my skills with Rich Murata and Al Bernstein. And that's, that was the school that I learned from. I'm sitting next to them. And then it was before the blow-by-blow, blow, it was ESPN top-ranked Brad Jacobs that's like, why don't we give Christina a shot? We've tried these different guys. It's hard to get guys to commit because they work other sports or whatnot, at least mm. for the undercards. She's the one that's there every week. She's the one that knows these fighters. She's there all fight week. She goes to camp. Why don't we give her a shot? So when they approached me, I was like, okay, it took a little pressure off because it wasn't like I was like, yeah, hey, yeah, can yeah. I do play-by-play? Play? Hey, can I do play-by-play? <laughs> they, you know, so that made it feel, mm. made, that made me feel good that they are taking that chance giving me that opportunity because they saw that I had the potential to be able to do it and that I think gave me a little boost of confidence. There's a big difference between knowing the stories and understanding the fighters and, and what it means to them and actually being able to read a fight and understand the technical side of the game. 100%. But as somebody that, see when I very first heard you I said to you I, I switched on the stream, my, my ear almost didn't connect to my brain because there'd never been a female lead commentator. I didn't realize it was you. And my first thought was, wow, she's really good and she really knows what she's looking at. So my instant assumption was that you had been a fighter. Of course, you haven't been. So tell me about who, who have been your biggest influences, who has taught you the most about the technical side, who have you learned from? I know you've done some work with Timothy Bradley, but, but who else? Probably first and foremost was working with the Colonel, Bob Sheridan. Yeah. I mean, he's, for those of you that have been watching boxing for years and years, he is, Ali and oh my God, Foreman. I mean, and he was like, oh, he could be a one man broadcast crew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. he does it all, he talks the whole, he can talk the whole he's time, so great, he doesn't need he? He, the way, the way he, I mean, he's also a judge and a rep, he's got, mm. he can do it all. And sitting next to him, for all these years on the undercards and just learning from him and, and learning the rules and learning tendencies and learning things. See how he switched orthodox or see how he switched southpaw and he got hit a little bit more there. See the footwork if he doesn't sit down on his punches or see when you have a you know a southpaw and orthodox fighter, the, the position of the front foot and just every little technical aspect. I felt like I was just, sometimes I caught myself just not talking about it because I'm just, I'm listening yeah, and learning, learning as yeah. well. You've yeah, got to be present to, to learn. Yes. Yeah. So um, he he by far was the biggest influence in that sense. And then, and then later on, working along with guys like Timmy, working along now with guys like Andre, who when I sit next to them and you know they're breaking down film, and I'm trying to see what they see because look, I always said I'm a color commentator, or now I'm a player. I I shouldn't. I could analyze what I see, but I oh I always feel like that analyst seat is best suited for a coach or. A trainer That's or an app. Yeah. yeah, because I need somebody that I could refer to and say, what would you do in this situation? Mm. What did you do? Or as a coach, what would you tell your fighter? I can analyze, say, oh, he should have did this, but I don't have that, you know, experience mm. as far as being in the ring or doing it. So I feel like sitting alongside those guys, even just watching tape with them, mm. is where I, I, I've, learned, yep. I've learned a lot. And I think that that's the key, isn't it? So many fighters know exactly what they're doing, but it's another skill being able to articulate it to an audience. I mean, Andre Ward is someone I've, I've personally learned a, a huge amount from because not only does he understand the real kind of top level intricacies of a very complicated sport, but he's able to actually make them an understandable kind of um, it, and digestible bit right. of information for maybe a casual fan. And Deliver it in an articulate way. Yeah. You know, because yeah. as you know, calling fights, you gotta, it's, it's about, you know, you wanna be as concise as possible with the message that you're trying to deliver, but, you know, still make it sound thorough and, and, and make, even the casual fan understand what you're saying. Some guys are super technical when they call fights. It's like somebody's not going to understand what you meant by that. You got to kind of explain it in, in I don't want to say in layman's terms, but something that is a little bit more, you know, broad so people understand. And um, 
I tried to take a little bit of everyone, the storytelling of Larry Merchant, things that he would pick up just from mm. sitting in the lobby of yeah, the hotel. Yeah. The way Max can articulate a point um, and get in and get out. Uh, Jim Lamp, all these guys. I mean, I was side by side with these HBO guys for a long time. and. Um, it, it was the best, there was no school for this, but I feel like I got the best education sitting alongside them. Because what's interesting in, in the UK is normally you have a lead commentator, you have one analyst, but in America often you have three, sometimes even four, four guys. Yeah. And I think the, the, the beauty of having three or four is that if they all have a very specific role, they have longer in between making those points, but they have more time to think about what they're gonna, what they're gonna say. So as you say, when Max Kellerman does chip in, you know what he's about to say, it's kind of, Max is speaking, we need to listen. And because it's this is gonna be It's always relevant, yep. it's always, and it always makes you see the fight in a slightly different way. Whereas if he has to speak every 10, 15 seconds, maybe he doesn't have the time to, to breathe and actually think about what he's seeing and, and summarize. So 100%. yeah, it's, it's, a different, it's a different way you guys do things. I mean, I personally like it, but maybe we've just, English, we like our traditions and we're stuck in that sure. way. Sure, so. and there's no right or wrong. Everyone has a mm. preference, right? And some people say, oh, it's, it's too many people on the broadcast team, or, you know, you, you, where two sounds better. And like, no, it's nice having that third opinion. Mm, and yeah. So it's really all a matter of preference. And and it's, I think a lot of people sitting at home feel like they could sit in that chair and do a better job <laughs> until you, the, yeah, the yeah. light goes on with the headset. And it's like, oh, shoot, it's not the same. Like, yeah. It's just, it's really not as easy as people. You, they have the benefit of replay. Like, oh my God, that was not that much. And you got to call it in a split second. And yeah. as you know, it's, it's quite challenging, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. No, me neither. Out of interest, of the three sports you were kind of working in NFL, basketball, what was it that eventually kind of drew you to, to boxing. I get the impression it kind of stole your heart a little bit. Is that right? That's exactly. I, I use those words. It just grabbed me by the heartstrings. Really, it did. And it was the first individual sport I've covered. I've always covered team sports. So the dynamic of mano y mano, one athlete, all the pressure. Yes, you have a team, mm. but it's it's up to one individual to perform at their peak each and every time. If you if you have an off night and you're a quarterback, running back, you have a whole team that can get behind you and you know pick up. You know then you run the ball more, or then you pass. And if your run game is struggling, whatever. And it's like you have an off night and you you're gonna lose. There's not, there's you, you know there's not much else you have to, to depend on. And the fact that these fighters. Um, literally put their life on the line every time they fight. It's not a joke. It's not a game. And um, uh, from what we saw uh, two, two weeks ago, um, it's, it, that was never been more poignant. I've never um, you know, experienced something like that or called a fight where that was uh, the result. And uh, as much as it would turn a lot of people away from the sport, I know that the fighters understand the responsibility. And I think us as broadcasters and everybody involved, um, uh, you have to really appreciate and respect what these athletes do and, uh, and and what they put on the line. And I think that how much is on the line each and every time is something that attracted me to the sport as well. It's interesting because Carl and I have spoken about this on a previous podcast and I said, how do you manage to get in the ring when you've got a wife and kids knowing the, the risks? And I think he said something along the lines of, well, you don't think about the risks because if you did, you wouldn't be able to do what you do. So there's an element of, yeah, we understand what we're getting ourselves into, but part of being a fighter is that you have that part of your brain that you know, stops the rest of us from like jumping off the cliff, from, from doing all those things that are, are inherently, you know, kind of pull us away from what, what our urges are to keep ourselves safe. They almost ha don't have that switch. And so they're able to do things that you know, ordinary people just can't do. That's why they're crazy. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no I mean, like, there's this switch, right? There Where they is, have yeah. to be able to, to block that out. And I, I don't remember who said it. I read it in, a, in an article, um, but it was like, we know what we sign up for. Or we know what's at risk, but 
and, and we accept that, but not all our family and our kids know. Yeah. They don't necessarily accept it. it the, your kids especially, they don't know um, what all is at stake and, and what all is at risk. And um, it's it's just, you know, that's why any anytime you get in, these fighters get in the ring, it's, oh, he's fighting a bomb, or he's fighting, okay, well, that bomb's getting ready to risk his life yeah. for your entertainment and for to provide for his family. This is his job. While you're so. on the couch, yeah. <laughs> What did you do today? Yeah, yeah. At the very least, I think respect across the board would, would be nice, wouldn't it? So coming up is uh, Lomachenko defending his belt against Luke Campbell yeah. in London. Are you going to make the trip? We're not sure yet. I'm hoping. I'm not sure yet. Things are still kind of up in the air as far as like who top rank and ESPN is is sending over there, which sounds crazy because we're like two weeks away. But that's yeah. how boxing is. Sometimes things just happen. Things just happen last minute. But I would love to. I've never uh, covered a fight in the UK before. I've I've gone there with the NFL in London and covered a game there, and that was a crazy atmosphere. So different than NFL games in the States. You see, like, you know, you go to an NFL game in the States and the two teams playing, those are the two teams' uh, jerseys that you see people wearing. But no, an NFL game in London, it's like every team, whatever jersey you have, everyone's wearing <laughs> yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah. you know, whatever it is. It was like, you know, I felt like both, everyone was cheering for both teams. It was insane. It was a yeah. lot of fun. So um, I hope I do go, but I'm sure we're going to have many more now that, you know, the they've top rank and you know match room and DAZN have shown that they can make fights you mentioned the hook yeah, Ramirez, Ramirez like, yeah. things like that so I, I'm looking for much more of that to come in the future so if not this one then hopefully another one no well it'd be great to have you over and, and see what you think of the English fans and the, and the way we do things there and like you say it's nice because in a sport where there's so many promotional divides Eddie and Bob they have this kind of tongue-in-cheek rivalry. but I think there's a lot of respect from Eddie to Bob because he's his elder and he knew his dad well and, and I think hopefully they'll collaborate because it will lead ultimately to the biggest and best fights and that I think is what we all want isn't it that's what that's that's it that's yeah. what's going to keep the sport alive and thriving and and we're seeing some of that it's all this other you know other side of the street stuff but if you watch that um, Ramirez hooker broadcast you saw Chris Mannix interviewing Terrence Crawford yeah, you yeah. know you saw Bob and Eddie sit down for a conversation you know or I'm um, Chris interviewing Bob for DAZN and, and that even happened before when they sent Hooker over to fight Alex Salcedo and you know so there is there is things happening um, and I hope that we continue in that direction because we can't let these big mega fights go by the wayside because of politics and and money because if these are the fights can get made that's what's going to bring even more money into the sport and more glory into the sport it's not it's not that the the you know the egos and everything keeping things separate no i completely agreed well the time is eight o'clock and we agreed to get you back to your job i hear that music because the music's <laughs> just in time somebody's making a ring walk here in a uh, second, yeah they so. are so so i'll let you get back to it but listen it's been such a pleasure to be here thank, thank you so you. so much for thank coming you on the so show thank you so much oh. and i hope if i make the the trip across the pond the next time you know we can do this again 100 yeah. percent. and likewise fantastic. Thank so, you. Thank Wonderful. you so much. And thank you at home you. for watching. My thanks to Christina Poncher. Uh, another episode of TKO on Joe, together with 32 Red, Done and Dusted. We will catch you at the same time, as always, next week. Bye-bye for now. You've been listening to TKO on Joe, together with 32 Red.